Hi, everybody. Welcome to No Show. This week is part two of our talk with Will Curran. Will is the founder of Endless Events and has been producing in-person, virtual, and hybrid events for years for massive, massive companies. And he knows everything about events. He's also been thinking a lot about how chat, GPT, and AI, and technology in general, are going to change the event and travel industries. In part two, Jeff and I talk with them about the next leap forward for virtual assistance in travel and how that's going to affect jobs and how events are going to have to evolve over the next five years if they want to stay relevant. So here we go. Let's jump back into it right now. Will, how close do you think we are to a true kind of Jarvis assistant who's not just planning and booking trips and not just interacting with us like an Alexa, but is inspiring and engaging in a conversation with us about our intent? Are we over under three years, five years? I want to say it's faster than we even think it's going to happen because this was felt like it was supposed to be decades off and it literally came like just out of the somewhat out of the blue. I think that so like the big thing that everyone's wanting to move towards on a technical term is called it's called artificial general intelligence. So AGI is like the thing that everyone's moving towards. I think that's one everyone's going to really be mind blown and it's going to be Jarvis level when we reach AGI level. But where I think that we are, where people are going to be really impressed and I think where I'm going to be really impressed is the when memory and personalization come in key. So when all these chatbots first came out, one of the first things, and I talked about this actually on the podcast that you guys probably also heard as well, is that I was like, wouldn't it be cool if you could like inject your own data into this, like your blog posts, your webinars, and then like ask it questions based on that information. And it was like, maybe 24 hours later, someone came up with an app that did that. And it made me question to be like, Wait, how do you do this then? And I, that's why I really started nerding out on the AI stuff. And it made me realize like, Personalization is possible, but it's a lot of manual work right now. You still have to have some coding skills. But where I think it's going to be really incredible is when you can, it starts to know who you are and it keeps all of that data in one place. But that's scary for a lot of people, right? Like the, if the AI knows you better than your mom knows you, people are freaking out. But I think that where it's going to be, that will be exciting, I think, at that point. And then the second piece is memory. When it can start to learn and mem- remember that someone said, hey, this, this this solution didn't work. Three out of four users say this isn't going to work, so I'm going to stop proposing this solution. But Or, hey, I, I asked it about, I want something, you know, I want my hotel pillows to be synthetic, not down. It's going to n- remember that. And I think that's where we will start to hit that that Jarvis level, because I think that the interface of talking to it and communicating with it is already here. The ability, if you want to do a chat a chat GPT and do it as a voice on your iPhone, which most people have iPhones at this point, um, I'll have to remember what it's called and maybe we can link in the show links, but there is a shortcut called, I think, uh, oh my gosh, I don't remember exactly what it's I think it's SGPT or something like that. And it's a shortcut on your iPhone. You press it and you can voice talk to chat GPT. It spits back the information and everything like that. And that when you can, the point when which, we no longer just have to hit a button, but we can use our common wake up words like, I'm going to try not to say one because the one's right here, but, you know, Google or, uh, you know, Siri, um, these sort of things are going to be when that, like, I think the Jarvis level communication starts to happen. And But the problem is right now is that the two people that who use the your tools you use is Google and Apple right now, and they have not implemented directly into their own voice assistants these tools yet. And when that happens, though, I think that's when we'll start, people will start being like, oh, Jarvis does exist. 
Right. And it, it You're definitely scaring my father <laughs> <laughs> and me. What, what keeps me uh, kind of up at night a bit on these, Matt, is the frequent traveler programs, whether you're talking about the hotel programs, your Bonvoy's honors, right? Your, uh, your American Airlines you know, advantage program, right? You'd think the name would roll right off my tongue because I'm, you know, the highest <laughs> level in the stupid thing, but I can't even remember the name of the program. And part of the reason I can't is because I don't shop anywhere else, right? And mm-hmm. so when I think, uh, about where does this technology take the world of loyalty programs, I'm not sure exactly how it helps. I'm already so Mm. deeply tied into those ecosystems. Uh, Does it then only offer me what I always have a habit of doing? Do I train it? Does it train me? Does the loyalty program train us both? Who's driving this machine? Yeah, that's a really good point. Like I could see that it's going to learn that I'm an American Airlines in Marriott loyalist. And it's going to, when I ask it, what's the the best flight that fits within my schedule that I have, I have to leave on Monday and come back on Tuesday and it looks up automatically. I, I you know, right now on Google flights, which is what I use to like do the initial search. So I don't get cookied and all that fun stuff. It, I still have to like always every time choose my desired uh, airline, even though every single time I've never looked at another airline, Google should know that I'm an American Airlines user and just prompt that. Where I think it's going to be crazy is that, again, that memory um, memory and preferences thing is that imagine that then it goes, hey, I did some analysis on all the flights that you took. And you know you think that it's cheaper for you to fly American because you're coming out of Phoenix and it's a hub. But in reality, Delta is getting really competitive with its Terminal 3 and it's trying to drop more people out of Phoenix. You know, if you had done Delta last year, you would have saved probably a thousand dollars. Do you want to consider starting booking all your flights in Delta and building a status? Or do you like me to uh, look up some information about a challenge uh, that you can do and build out an itinerary that gets you that challenge quickly or whatever it may look at? I think that's really where it's going to be like, boom. Oh my gosh. Like it's doing all the research that like right now is loyalty. The reason why I don't change too is I'm also lazy. Like I, I don't want to keep like really analyze my spend I had last year. I don't want to analyze how much, like where, like, was it better that I, I chose to do this route? Would I have saved more time? What all these things like that. But in reality, like you could plug in all that data from, you know, flighty, which is like an awesome iOS app. I'm not sponsoring anything. It's just an awesome app. I just recently found, but take all that data and be like, boom, let's analyze that information. The analytics and the analysis of data is also a big thing that's changing right now. And that's a big area that I'm looking at right now is how do we take massive amounts of data? And then how can you prompt it and ask questions about that data? We've also been talking a little bit about how this is going to alter business travel, which is its own separate episode, really. Um, but, you know, the, the 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 program coordinator, event coordinator at companies who would essentially act as travel manager, setting everybody's uh, hotel and plane up, that feels like it, it, it. this is something perfect for chat. Uh, what conferences should you be going to? How much money is left in the budget to go to those conferences? I'll take care of that. Um, you know, even like event logistics, uh, like hotel conference rooms, Uh, Are we having a booth? Can all that stuff sort of be automated? And the answer is yes. What big ways do you see chat changing business travel? I think what makes business travel really fulfilling in a lot of ways, especially if it's in your early years, um, is that you get to explore and see new parts of the world. Um, But a lot of times, 
until you start to figure out like how you can kind of like game the system to be like, Hey, I'll stay one extra day so I can really see new Orleans rather than just only the conference center. So I initially see it as like people being able to actually experience the travel out of business travel and not just the business factor. So that's the first thing I think is that it will make suggestions and uh, additional information and things like that based on it. The next thing I think when it comes to business travel, how it will make it a lot easier is that when things go wrong, there's going to be faster solutions now. You know, it, we, we talk about how hard it is in business travel because like a lot of systems are built on like archaic technologies in a lot of ways. But let's talk about like the one of the hardest archaic technologies, which is like when your flight gets canceled, you usually have to introduce a human factor immediately. How can we get you on the next flight? All these things like that. But where I see it really impacting business travel is that we're going to be able to get more information quickly and get solutions probably even quicker. And because it can be more personalized and input more data, it means that those solutions can be a little bit more complex than, oh, hey, here's the next flight, or do you want to just cancel or whatever it may be? It might be something as you can talk to the chatbot and say, you know, I'm okay delaying. I'm Yeah, I'm going on my way home. I'd love to see my kids tonight, but I would rather not have to run across the airport to make that full next flight or whatever it may be. Can you just make it happen for me to stay on the closest airport? That's a Marriott because you know my preferences and, you know, I can just stay here, whatever it may be. That would be a very long conversation you would have with a, a person or an agent or whatever it may be. And let's be honest, the probably the hardest part about these agents is that they all get flooded simultaneously because a delay is not just like, oh, Will Kern got delayed. It's that entire flight with like 70 people or whatever. I don't know how many people fit off planes these days, but that many people all happens at once. And it sucks the most for the in-person people because they just literally, everyone just runs right to them. But like, I think that's where it's going to help business travel is it's going to make the interruptions that Murphy's Law stuff happen a little and make it a little bit smoother and not feel like I'm getting handed this like shopping cart experience and that I'm going to feel like I can talk it through what I'm actually looking for rather than just, hey, yeah, here's your coupon code or whatever it may be on there. This is the latest chapter of the never-ending Aldous Huxley novel, you know, called Chat GPT. And you know, as a career hotelier, I think this is actually really inviting. And it's not because I want to see jobs lost. It's because the ways that this will improve customer service, I think other than your top-tier luxury hotels, hotel community just doesn't do a great job with it, right? It's yeah. The hotel community is not good if I'm arriving in three hours, I'm going to be late, but I really need this when I'm ready. How do I chat with the hotel? How do I communicate? If you don't call the hotel and get somebody friendly, that's not happening. So I actually yeah. think it's kind of revolutionary. But despite all the studies, I think Gardner said 25% of companies will replace customer service channels with tech like this. My question is to you, where do you see the most risk to jobs in the travel industry, specifically hotels, but travel anywhere. Yeah. I mean, you took the customer service one. That's the easiest one. Um, I think the the next would be that, oh, you know, I wanted to say like a, like a concierge like role, like you have these, like, for example, like when you hit Merit status at the top, they give you like a concierge that helps you book your things and things like that. But I think for a lot of people, the one, the, 
the thing about the concierge is that it really gives this personal aspect. It comes with like the history of I've been to that restaurant. I know it's good. Um, when it, you have that Marriott person, it's like, oh, I understand you and I feel important because I've, I've reached the top tier status of Marriott and I get a VIP person. Um, but I don't think that will necessarily go away. And that's also like, I think a very niche job. The next one, most at risk will be the marketer. The person who writes all the email copies, who comes up with the promotions, who who decides to write the tweets, like who who's writing all this stuff to promote these products and things like that and writing the ad copy, they're they're in serious danger right now. What used to be a marketing team of 10 is now going to become a marketing team of two. Who's managing the Insta account yeah. for a hotel, right? That's the one that people struggle with the most. And it's supposed to be the most personal. And it's the first one you think, actually, we're going to replace the personalization factor with something completely inhuman. Yeah. they're And they're going to do things like, for example, oh, hey, take this image of the hotel that I took and brighten up the colors and make it look really good. And uh, let's make it also so, yeah, that, that couple is in the bikini. We can't have bikinis in our pictures. Remove that person. Now you you can tell image generation tools, just do that all for you and it will just be happening immediately. It will know that this kind of t- ad is higher converting than this one and it auto writes the copy for it. Um, I think those sort of things are going to be like, you're seriously in danger when it comes to this because- Marketing is so big in the travel industry because we have to constantly remind people about this vi- this like desire to get outside of your hometown and everything like that. And in a lot of ways, like these tools really are more creative than we've ever been because it has just so much information available and it just speeds up that first draft process so much. Matt, did he just describe your job? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Matt. It's okay. But here's the okay. thing, Matt's going to use the tools. Oh, see here, he's coming he's yeah, coming back. He's going to try yeah, to save Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll help save you. You you are going to start using the tools. So you'll be protected. Again, like the the people who aren't you're not necessarily like Matt's job is going to just disappear, but if Matt's not using these tools to write the initial emails and things like that and ideate and understand what his personas care about, it's that's when Matt's going to start to be like, "Well, wait, this other person's moving way faster than I I can do right now." I, I might be naive about it, but we still want voices on the other end of the line for certain mm-hmm. things. You mm-hmm. still want somebody at the front desk. You still want somebody uh, at the end of a phone call who is sort of a caseworker for your problem. You don't need them all the time. There's certainly some things that you're okay dealing with the bot with, especially if they're perfunctory. But I think we'll still want a little bit of a security blanket with another human being on the other side of certain transactions in travel. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because like, it's such a stressful process. And, you know, as much as, you know, we want to imagine that travel is the, is accessible by all, it is still a more premium experience. Um, And so I think that when you go to that level, there's definitely a need. And that's why, you know, the Ritz Carlton just has such a legendary brand because like, it's so personal and because of that, like they will probably never leave the industry because it's just so done so well. Um, but it's definitely, I think, like, you know, when you talk about like the lower end of stuff, the super eights of the world and stuff like that, they're like, that's where I think it's going to start to, you know, yeah, you're going to see a lot more chatbots and that sort of stuff initially. Sure. Oh, and, you know, I I need more towels. 
Yeah, or yeah. I need I need a parking space downstairs or I need bring get the you know call the valet to to bring my vehicle that kind of stuff. I think human beings are are pretty okay with that kind of stuff just going through an app. But yeah, once you get to a little higher motor function, you still want to know there's somebody other on the other end of the line. That's true. He did not say revenue management, so we're we're safe. Hey, it might come after you to say, well, you know, what, where's my revenue coming from? Where's the best things I should double down on and things sure. like that, right? Well, maybe like that, no, like actually, in that data analysis. So I, I think there actually are <laughs> quite a number of ways where, you know, the, the field I spent most of my working life in uh, has the ability to be disrupted by this exact kind of technology, right? And one of the things that's kind of leads is how to perform rather simple analysis just by asking questions. But it, but I think that's going to be the kind of function that Matt you describe. It's it will augment what the human's doing. The human still has to ask the question. Holy, it's like I don't the artist think at the point where it's going to ask the question for us. Yeah, yeah. One one tool I would totally recommend everyone to check out. That's really worth watching. What they're going to do is HubSpot, um, and technically it's Darmesh, who's the CTO of HubSpot, and its own separate kind of company. He just bought Chat.com. That's how much he believes in this like chat world. But he created a cool cool tool called ChatSpot, and it's like if you want to see like how potentially you can use chat interface to interface with a more complex, powerful marketing tool. Think about that in terms of, yeah, like the revenue management tools. Think about your sales tools, all these things like that. ChatSpot is, I think, showing like how a big enterprise data tool, how to use that chat interface to be the future. Jeff, did you want to do, want to ask something about privacy? You know, I'm I'm not sure where to go. I mean, how about just an open-ended, Will, what do I need to be afraid of? Well, the the privacy aspect of things is going to be really interesting. You know, I think right now privacy is getting tossed out the window, right? Like we're kind of in that, like when social media first came out and kind of how like Mark Zuckerberg figured out how to scrape the Harvard intranet to get all the pictures and things like that. It, we all are excited about all these new tools coming out, but we're sacrificing a lot of data and, and privacy around these sort of things. So what I worry more about is like, I don't care necessarily about an AI or computer tool knowing more about me. I've always been on that team about knowing that. The issue where I go is when it crosses the line, when a human all of a sudden can start seeing those data and start manipulating those sort of things, or that it starts influencing my behavior without me even having a choice in that behavior. Um, So for example, I'm not a big fan of like the TikTok algorithm where I'm I'm having a computer choose how I'm going to be entertained and what information that I ultimately get. I still want a little bit of that decision in that because I consume so much information. That's a large part of where my behavior ends up being spent in time. So I think those are the two things is that I don't want humans to be at all seeing my data. (laughs) I trust the computers. (laughs) And I think the other piece is that I don't want something to be so full in control. I'm like, for example, right now, I don't know if I would let an AI pick how I spend time on my calendar, but what I would let it do is to interact if i say i have to cancel this meeting make suggestions to me and i can talk back to it i think those sort of things are really really uh cool for me for sure a couple more here before we uh we close out uh i had a, just a general question about uh, events you've done so many of them over the years you take the longtime woolly mammoths like ces and nab and con expo um, conferences that jeff and i have have spent a lot of time at what do you think is going to happen to those kind of mega conventions 10 years from now, 15 years from now, are they still going to walk the earth or are they going to 
are they going to drift off? I think if they don't innovate, they're definitely going to drift off. Um, what I think is really an interesting play right now for all events is this idea of like the community model. So uh, to think about this idea that, you know, the NABs, the, the, the CESs, they have massive communities behind them. The people who have gone for five, 10 years, you know, they're loyal in a lot of ways right now. And then maybe they're trusting their loyalty, but the problem is they're loyal to this idea of a date in the calendar. And the problem with that is that 99% of the year, the loyalty that they have is irrelevant to who they are as people, right? They're labels of who they are. Um, I'll use an example of an, an event I think that does this really, really well is that you have this event called Electric Forest, massive music festival. I'm really excited to actually get to attend it for the first time ever this year. They do this thing called loyalty where the people who have been going every year get to buy the tickets first before the general public. So the people who have been going for 10 years get access even earlier than anybody else. So it really creates this idea that Electric Forest is actually part of people's identity in here. But where I think they're failing, and I think most events are failing, is this idea that around an event, communities are popping up everywhere. But the problem is they're not controlled by the event in itself, the event brand. And it's this almost this idea that I've been challenging for many years, which is like, don't build your your social presence and things like that on rented land. The idea of like building up a amazing Facebook page with a million followers just for Facebook to change the algorithm or the, you know, TikTok algorithm. What you can literally, this is a cycle that happens a million times. But what I think these events need to do is they realize that people want to get together and talk and communicate and leading up into after and before the events. But you need to build that space for them. So where I think CES is going to die is that it literally the energy for it is only trapped within that five-day conference. But reality, if CES could turn itself into something bigger, a, you know, a community in this case, people will be talking about it all the time. They'll associate with it. And it doesn't matter what dates their events are, whether it's online, offline. People will identify really well with this. Um, and since we're talking about like electronic and technical conferences, I think Avixa and Infocom is doing this really, really well. You know, Avixa has been an association for a long period of time. They came out with their own online community now, but it's never felt like whenever I've spoken at an Infocom or things like that, I've always felt like I'm coming into something that I'm not really a part of. But when I come and speak at other conferences, you still get that kind of freshness that people haven't met before. They don't really know each other. Maybe they, you know, there's a couple of people who have been going to the conference every year. But when you go to a VIXA in a, a Infocom conference, you're like, oh, all the VIXA people know each other and they're so loyal. And so whether Infocom happens in Florida, Vegas, wherever it's going to be, they know that community is going to follow with them. And I think that's really the key right now for that long-term strategy. And let's be honest. You need to build something outside of email communication, uh, outside of social media ads. How are you going to communicate to your attendees to convince them to go next year when we're in a crowded world full of noise, when people are blocking ads, when they're ignoring any calls from people they don't have their phone numbers for? And let's be honest, like my inbox probably has a thousand emails I haven't quite gotten to quite yet. And one of those is your, hey, we are announcing ticket sales on sale today. At the end of every episode, we do a mystery question. What is the most underrated city for events? I'll pick my my first jump to it, but it's, I have a I want to get a second one out that's more U.S. based. But I think underrated is like Dublin, Ireland, like Ireland in general. 
because the idea like you can fly into Dublin within 30 minutes, being like in the middle of the countryside at like some of the most amazing views you've ever seen. I grew up in a desert, so everything green is exciting for me. But like, I feel like Dublin is not that terribly expensive, like almost the same price for me to get from Phoenix to New York can be the flight from Phoenix to Dublin. So I think Dublin's completely underrated in a lot of ways. And plus for most people, English speaking country, all those things like that, super awesome place to do it. Um, and I don't think I've ever seen an industry conference try to do stuff in Dublin, which is really sad. Um, but let's pick something US or at least North American based. You know, where's a place that like, I don't see a lot of stuff go to and I'll go along with my like Irish side of things is Boston. I feel like Boston's just kind of like, I've never had to travel to Boston for maybe something other than HubSpot's conference. And because they're based there, they're like big on like the Boston world, but they have so much great convention space, like the, the flights, there's so much history there without it feeling like DC where you're just like, oh my God, there's so much stuff here. But like, I feel like Boston just doesn't get enough events now. And it might be related to like taxes and heads and beds and deals they're cutting and things like that. But to be honest, like I would love to be doing way more events in Boston because it gets, it's like the one East coast city where I feel like someone's not going to yell at me at. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that, I think that's the first time anybody has ever said that about Boston. So, so congratulations. Well, maybe it's because like, I like look super Irish. So everyone's like, oh yeah, he fits in here. <laughs> sure. You can stay. Will, this has been incredible. Thank you so much. Boy, we hope to have you uh, back again in the future. I'd love to come back for sure. Yeah. Like, let me know anytime, guys. I'm happy to come on the show. Mm -hmm.